buckle in, and let your brain take flight on the most interesting, most random history around. This is episode 50-something of the History of Podcast. I'm Robert, and today's episode is the history of energy drinks. I'm glad you're tuning in, and if you missed your coffee this morning, I hope the next 10 minutes will make it a little better. Well, to start, I have the egg carton count. And today's egg carton count is 74. Uh, one up from last week, we broke our, uh, our egg carton drought, so that's nice. You know what else is nice is good energy drink. Well, I'm just kidding, that's sparkling water. I've never been an energy drinker, but I think you'll find that throughout the timeline of the industry, sure, there are a lot of brands that make the same product, but there are also a handful of brands that created markets of their own before people even knew they wanted energy drinks. All of these industry pioneers came from places you would never expect. If we're going to start at the very beginning, I would say the first energy drink was coffee. So the legend goes, coffee was discovered by an Ethiopian goat farmer who noticed his goats became very jittery when eating the beans off a certain bush. And the farmers spread the news to the local monastery who sent an abbot, the head monk, to investigate this claim. The abbot made a drink with the berries, and when he realized the drink also helped him to keep alert, he shared it with his fellow monks, and the news spread. Coffee spread to the Arabian Peninsula, where it would be produced on a much larger scale, and would take off to become what it is today. There's an interesting story with coffee becoming a problem in the church, and the Pope had to make a decision, and there's the rise of coffee houses, but that's a little too much for today. For the next era in the history of energy drinks, we go to Coca-Cola. On April 16, 1865, at the Battle of Columbus, a soldier named John Pemberton suffered a near-fatal wound to the chest. He had to rely heavily on morphine to get through the pain, and eventually became addicted. In desperation, Pemberton founded a pharmacy after the Civil War in Atlanta, Georgia, so he could have a steady supply of morphine. Also being in the pharmaceutical business, because you can hardly call some of these things pharmaceutical, Pemberton found coca wine, which is a mix of wine and cocaine. He used this as inspiration for the drink he would later create, a concoction of alcohol, cocaine, and caffeine. I'm no pharmacist, but this drink puts together alcohol, a depressant, and cocaine and caffeine, which are stimulants. It seems like some of these ingredients would counteract each other, but I don't know. I've never had alcohol or cocaine. The formula would change, and Coca-Cola would grow in influence with its advertising prowess. I'll spare you a minute, but for complete episodes on both coffee and Coke, there are episodes 37 and 17 just for you. They're just Christmas presents waiting to be opened. Well, despite how it began, Coca-Cola is still not an energy drink. Some would say the first real energy drink was Jolt Cola. Jolt Cola was launched in 1986 in Rochester, New York, and it advertised having twice the caffeine of other sodas, along with using cane sugar. The FDA's maximum allowance of caffeine at the time was 6 milligrams per fluid ounce, and Jolt Cola contained an edgy 5.9 milligrams. It still wasn't an energy drink like we would imagine it today, Jolt Cola was really still a soda, but it brought with it certain characteristics of energy drinks like the tall can. Overall, Jolt Cola was far more successful than the father-son founders expected, and at its peak it was sold in 48 states. But this sugar-caffeine marketing didn't appeal to everybody, especially with the rise of health food culture in the 90s, and Jolt Cola slowly declined until filing for bankruptcy in 2009. 
Soon after the launch of Jolt Cola, we come to the elephant in the room, Red Bull. Red Bull originates from a man in Thailand named Chileo Yuvidaya, and he came from a poor family as a duck farmer. He moved from his small hometown to Bangkok, where he entered the world of pharmaceutical sales. Interesting theme here. Yuvidaya eventually started his own pharmaceutical company called TC Pharmaceuticals, and one of his most successful creations he would come across was an energy tonic drink, hence the birth of Red Bull. But this wasn't Red Bull gives you wings with extreme sports, beautifully simple commercials banned in Norway Red Bull. This was a tonic, and it was called Kratting Deng. The energy drink industry was still pretty non-existent, and unlike Jolt Cola, Kratting Deng was approaching it from a medicinal perspective. At the time, Red Bull's only competitor was a Japanese energy drink called Lipovitin D. It tasted like cough syrup and came in a cough syrup looking bottle. Yuvidaya sought to set Kreting Dang apart by giving it a sugary berry flavor taste, but it ended up also coming in a cough syrup looking bottle. Kreting Dang and Lipovitin D both contained an amino acid called taurine. Taurine helps regulate fluid balance and immune function. And I mention this because what starts to set energy drinks apart is the ironic focus on health with additives such as taurine and B vitamins. I also think it's interesting that the word taurine is derived from the Latin word taurus, meaning bull, which could have possibly been a factor in the naming of Red Bull. But Kretting Dang wasn't Red Bull yet, and it would take a man from Austria named Dietrich Mateschitz to take the company worldwide. Mateschitz was on the board of Blendex, a German toothpaste company, and after honestly getting bored of his old job, he invested in Kretting Dang, splitting an even share with Chileo Yuvidaya. Mateschitz worked for three years on developing and rebranding the products, and it was terrible. Looking back on his experience, he said, quote, I'd never before experienced such a disaster. In the words of Mr. Beast, you're crazy until you're successful, then you're genius. So Mateschitz carried on and set up offices in Austria, where he faced even more obstacles with government approvals of the ingredients and a shortage of aluminum cans. But in 1987, Red Bull finally hit the shelves, and nobody bought it. Red Bull faced stiff competition from Lucozade, an older European energy drink. But this was different. Red Bull was sponsoring extreme sports events, selling an idea as much as a product. With time, they grew, making Mateschitz Austria's third richest man and Chileo Thailand's third richest man. Red Bull would come to America in 1997, and only a few years later, the American energy drink market exploded with Rockstar, Monster, and Rippet, which was only common among US soldiers in the Middle East. Red Bull created a brand that defined energy drink culture, and I would argue that everything from Four Loco to Bang is merely a spin-off of the original idea sold by Red Bull. This brings us to our last energy drink, with Indian monk Manoj Bhargava at a National Products Expo in Anaheim, California. I know this sounds super random, but hold on for a second. He was impressed by the energy drinks offered there, but found that their fatal flaw was having to drink a whole 8 or 16 ounces in order to get the energy, often resulting in having to use the bathroom more, especially with all that caffeine. When looking back on having tried these energy drinks, Bargava says, quote, I thought, if I'm tired, am I also thirsty? It's like having a headache and a stomachache. It didn't make any sense. And this is when he created 5-Hour Energy, 
A big part of 5-Hour Energy's success was the store placement. Think for just a second, where would stores put 5-Hour Energy? Because they don't need to be refrigerated like other energy drinks. Try the checkout counter, especially Walmart. This was a winner for truckers and travelers who wanted a little boost, but didn't want to stop for a bathroom break. But 5-Hour Energy continues to be a polarizing product, just like any other energy drink. It's not FDA approved, and 5-Hour Energy has gone out of style in recent years. Whether you love it or hate it, Minaj Bargava has made off as a billionaire, all under the radar. Well, I'm not a billionaire, but you can make me one by going to the PayPal donation link in this episode's description. Until next time, I'm Robert Lakatosh, and please, promise me you won't drink too many Red Bulls after this. I really hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, don't listen to the next episode just yet. I'd appreciate if you could take just 10 seconds to rate or write a review for The History Of. It really does make the episodes better. And if you think you have a friend who might enjoy this podcast, tell them about The History Of, their new favorite podcast, and you might just make their day. I'd like to thank you all for your gracious, loyal support, and until the next one, I'm Robert Lakatosh. Thanks for listening.